On today's episode, Dave interviews comedian Henry Phillips. Henry has appeared on Comedy Central, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and Comedy Bang Bang. He also wrote and produced a semi-autobiographical film, Punching the Clown, which won the Slam Dance Audience Award. Punching the Clown is now available on Netflix. I'm Ian Foley. This is ADD Comedy. I just love doing these things. Oh, yeah. I love it. Do you do a lot of these? Um, I do quite a few. Yeah, mm-hmm. the first one I did was a couple of years ago. And uh, it's kind of weird because you you feel so comfortable that you're, I'm always like, oh, oh am I going to say something <laughs> that I'm going to regret? Because, you know, if you're on the radio or something, you're, you're pretty much, you know you're talking to a broad audience. But if you're just right. sitting in somebody's garage or something, you're just like, uh, oh, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's real easy to sometimes slip up and mention a name of somebody and be like, oh, wait a second, that person's going to hear this. Right, but I that's know. part of the beauty of it, too, because it's so candid, you know? Well, uh for me, you're here in my apartment, and it's just like us having a conversation. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And and what and, and I always feel like that's the that's where the most good shit comes out of just having a conversation. Because when you're sitting in front of a microphone, like the big boom mics that are coming down in that spit guard, and yeah. you're really fucking aware of what you're doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when you're that aware, I think that you're there's a governor on what it is that you're you're saying and thinking and doing. Yeah. No, a buddy of mine and I. Like, we talk all the time. Like, you know, we'll talk for an hour or whatever. Um, and we always say, man, we should tape some of these conversations. Right. Just, they, sometimes they'll turn into comedy all of a sudden, or they'll just be extremely candid about some mutual person that we dislike or whatever, you know. And it's just like, oh, that would be the most entertaining conversation. But it's, it's so real that it's like, ugh. I've had some <laughs> conversations with people. Well, first of all, is this person a comedian as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So because uh, that really helps too. Yeah, you, you know, and to be on the same wavelength, you know, that's to know that if you make a joke, that the other person's going to pick up on it, and, right. and also and somebody also, that you're familiar with. That you know, I mean, I have a few friends like this where we just kind of have the same vernacular. You know, we'll go community. into a joke without even laughing about it. We'll just kind of, you know. <laughs> Do you find so you're on the road? How much are you on the road? Well, ideally about two weekends of every month. Uh-huh. Uh, there's some that it's three and some that it's one, you mm-hmm. know, and the ones where it's one are a little stressful for right. me. Why? Uh, financially, you Got know. It. <laughs> Got it. Are you so, booking yourself or you have an agent? Uh, I've always booked myself, you know. I, it, somewhere in the beginning, I started being brought out as the opening act for bigger comics. Right. And uh, pretty early on, the the club owners uh, would ask me to come back and be the headliner, which I don't know if that happens as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's kind of changed a little bit, but back then, that's the way it worked for me. How long ago was that? Uh, 99. Right. Yeah. Well, oh, shit it was, was so different then. Yeah, it was. It was a really exciting time for me, too, because I had been doing it in L.A. for about five years mm-hmm. at open mic nights every, Did, every night. And we, but I, I, I met you... In the late 90s? Yeah, I met you before I was doing The Road because it was, uh, was it the Upfront Comedy Club? Yeah, did I see you at the Upfront or did I also, or was it on I the I used pier? to see you at the Improv a lot. Oh, the Pier Rusty Surf Ranch over no, there? Or the, no, um, uh, the, the, did you ever do the Second City? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Ash Grove. The Ash Grove. Yeah, that, right. the reincarnation uh, of that. Yeah, that right. was fun. Yeah, that was cool. That was great. What do you remember about that? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I remember is that, well, the Ashgrove is famous because, like, James Taylor used to play there and stuff like that. And um, I had never had this experience at that time where I went in there and this I was used to playing, like, rinky-dink places where I would just put a mic in front of the acoustic guitar. And I go in there and uh, the guitar, or the, uh, we do a sound check. And I hear this booming voice coming from the back booth somewhere that's filling up the whole place. You know, it was a beautiful stage sound and everything. Right. And the guy was like, okay, on your guitar, there should be a three-band, uh, you know, or parametric uh, EQ. I want you to take the mid-range one and put it all the way down on zero and start slowly building it up until I say stop. And I'm going, wow, did anybody tell you this is comedy? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be doing dick jokes up here. But it was so exciting for me because I always wanted to be a musician. Right. And I always wanted to feel that way, and that's that's what the way that they were. They were just like, no, we're gonna do this right. It's it was gonna a beautiful sound room. good. Yeah, it was a beautiful room, and I don't know what the hell's going on there anymore. But 
for me, I remember, I, I just remember this community of people coming out and we packed that place. Oh yeah. Oh, that was a hot time. Do I time. remember that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was a hot time. Yeah, that was really cool. There was another story that happened. Oh yeah, this has nothing to do uh, with anything except for my social life at the time. I remember inviting a girl down that I liked to one of those shows because they were impressive shows to have a girl see because right. it was like, oh wow, this is a big stage. Did, this is you, did you wait? Did you? Did you? You did your. You did. I don't really remember it totally, but you kind of warmed up. Not warmed up. You were. You were the opening act. Or how yeah. Out? Yeah. I think I was the opening act. Yeah. I think yeah. You were which too. which I still do all the time for shows. I do it for the set list show and. Right. Uh, it's oh, it sort of works because you want a warm up act, but you don't want a stand up comic because it's too too much like what's going to be happening. Exactly. You know? So it's sort of like you're a hybrid. You know, yeah. Right. Um, so you're going back. To so. So I invited this girl uh-huh. uh, down that I was attracted to at the time, and she said, yeah, I'll come down, and I, she was like a wannabe model or something like that, and she goes, and I'll bring this producer uh-huh. that I know who's a big-time guy. And I, always, I even at that time used to laugh when somebody would say something like that, but I was like, <laughs> and then so she needed two comps, so I had to finagle two comps. So I'm like, wow, he's pretty big-time. He can't afford the $8 or whatever that it is to get in. Anyway... Um, they they showed up, whoever this big time producer was had about five drinks and left and said that it was on my tab. Oh. <laughs> so I, I wound up getting stuck with a whole bunch of drinks and I was like, who the hell is this? And I was just like, wow, what a great Hollywood situation. Did you find out who it was? Um, you know, I'm sure it was nobody. I'm, right. I'm just sure it was some guy walking around Barney's Beanery or something saying that he was some big time producer. And it's like... People need to know, if you really are a big-time producer, you don't tell people that nope. because you don't want them to, to, to harass you, <laughs> you right. know? So it's just like, uh, I don't know, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm uh, from Los Angeles originally, a suburb called La Crescenta, but I grew up here, I came up here comedically and all that stuff. That's it's really nice. Gorgeous up there. Yeah, it was a nice Flint small Ridge. town. Yeah, I'm right next to, we're a little bit on the other side of the tracks that Flint Ridge is just like uh, like Beverly Hills or something it's beautiful but um, Locker Center is just a little bit more uh, you know blue collar or whatever you would say well, it's but, um, hills. it's really pretty yeah too. it is it's it is nice. so pretty up there um, but a friend of mine just moved out here and started working for an agency and I was telling her I was giving her a bunch of uh, things that I've learned over the years and it was like uh, it was like some kind of Hamlet uh, Polonius's advice to Laertes or whatever, like soliloquy. I was like, well, you know, neither a lawyer, uh, borrower nor a lender. Be. No, I was like, um, I was telling her all these things that I've learned. One, if, if you go to one of these comedy clubs and everybody's schmoozing and somebody keeps telling you about how much stuff that they've got going on, you know, it's in their career or, right. you know, stuff that's going to happen. Chances are that person's not doing anything. Look for the one who's not saying anything. Look for the one where when you say, hey, what are you up to? And they go, oh, just this and that. Right. That person's got something going on <laughs> because they don't want you to know about it. And it, um, I have oh, a lot of friends who don't tell you anything of what <clears throat> Oh, doing. I know, yeah. And that's, it's because, uh, you know. I love telling they, people They want to wait. No, I do too. And, yeah. But the thing is, I think they want to wait and see if it's really going to happen before they start talking about do it. Do you, folks, don't you think, like we've been doing this for so fucking long, and I feel like I know when something's not going to happen. Yeah. And I know when something's going to happen because I don't believe in the idea of you're going to jinx it. And I think oh, I don't believe that either. No, yeah. but I think there are a lot of people who go, I don't want to jinx it. It's like, you know what? This shit's happening in my life and I really want you to know about it. Oh, no. It. Yeah, that's... That's completely fine. Yeah, right. yeah. As long as you're not BSing, you know. But um, but the guy that you're talking about. Well, it's it's like uh, it, it, every once in a while somebody. It, well, there's some people that just are always, you know. Oh, I got this and that. And it looks like this is gonna, you know, and blah blah blah. And it's like it's okay, but I think that some people are trying to get you to help them somehow uh, because they have so much stuff going on. I've right. just seen this very much. Right. Right. Um, Right. You know, it's, it's there. Hey, maybe a good trade would be like, you know, I could put you on my show if you, uh, you know, if I'm, you know, whatever. I don't know. You get all kinds of 
I think that a lot of people feel like if I talk about it, I'm going to manifest it. And if I manifest, you know, if I talk about it, I manifest it, I'm going to leave it open so that that can come into my life. Yeah, sort of it thing. could be that. Or it could be just a, a compulsive liar. You know, <laughs> there's so many people out there. there but, um, but no, I do. It, you know, when I, in 99, I got a, um, an offer verbally for a record deal from Freddie DeMann, the guy who managed Madonna at the time and uh -huh. helped her start Maverick Records which Alanis Morissette was on, and I was so happy. I mean, this guy on the phone was like, Henry, we want to do a record with you, and uh, that's going to happen. Um, I, I had never had anything that big happen at that point. Mm -hmm. This is even before I was on the road or anything. And uh, sure enough, you know, I went out and celebrated. I told everybody I showed up, you know, to the improv over there in Hollywood. And I was like, yeah, I got a record deal. And everybody's like, there's probably still people to this day who think that that happened, you know, because I was celebrating so hard. <laughs> but yeah, a couple weeks later, uh, we found out that it was all a little bit like they, they were trying to get get me to give them the publishing and get them to use some song I had for free on a comedy album that they were doing. And they were dangling this carrot of, I want to do a record. And I had a lawyer at the time, and he goes, you know, I hope this happens, but in good conscience, I can't have you sign this thing because... And I go, well, he says he wants to do a record deal. And I go, he goes, well, then tell him to put that in the contract, you right. know? Otherwise, there'd be no reason for him not to put it in the contract unless he's just using that to try to get this. Right. And then I, so that's when I kind of learned, well, it's a little embarrassing to go around and get too excited about stuff in this business. It's a young you know? man's, it's a young man's, uh, young man's, uh, it's not a mistake, but it's a young man's choice. Yeah. It's a young man's option. Mm -hmm. And you want to believe it and you hope that it's going to happen. Yeah. And the great thing is, sometimes it does, but sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. And when you have a big name like that, you're going, why would they fucking do that? Yeah, I know. I had no idea happen. that that was... Uh, that that was something that happened, even though I'm from L.A., you know, but it's like, uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised. There was a guy that called me up, and uh, he sent me an email, and he's from one of these um, TV sports channels, and um, he calls me up, he says, I got your name from somebody, and I really want to, we're, there's, there's, there's two hosts on this show, and they're not getting along, and we heard that you can help them listen to each other and connect with each other and you're the main man yeah and you're the guy mm -hmm. and we want to work with you tell me how much you're what's your what's your rate wow and here's the thing that and this is recently and i don't have i don't have this cable channel i don't have it i don't know these people i don't follow sports and i came right out and i said that yeah i said i don't know these people but what i do do is connect to people and he was like great send me a proposal so i sent him a proposal um i had some questions about a proposal Mm -hmm. And he was so, you know, I Googled him because nowadays you can do that. Yeah, that's right. And he right. seemed legitimate and it all seemed fucking legitimate. And I watched the show online. It's like, yeah, those guys aren't listening to each other. <clears throat> Never heard from him again. Wow. Never <laughs> yeah, heard from him Yeah, that's unbelievable. Again. And I called up some, prior to that, I called up some friends. Um, my friend Richard Label is an MC, you know, he does MC work and he's, he knows how to bargain. Yeah. And you want those kind of people in your life that know how to connect to you and know yeah. how to, can say, okay, what's your day rate? And, and yeah. follow through on that. Because that's we right. are, and when I asked you if you're, if you're booking your own gigs, yeah. that's a huge thing. You know, because you're gonna make mistakes, but it's also, uh, do you want? And it's just well, a crazy question. Do you, I don't know that I even want representation. Yeah, I don't think I do either. I, I, I did for one year, I had some guy, and yeah, he got more money than I was able to get. Of course, I'm giving them but he's talking to people that I was already working for at the time, and he's getting more money out of them. I have a pretty good idea. I mean, I can, I can tell how much a club is making mm -hmm. for a week, and mm -hmm. I know what a guy like me makes. Right. So, I mean, I, in some of these clubs, after I've been doing it a while, I'll, I'll get to know them pretty well, and they're pretty honest people. They'll show you. They'll go, well, look, Thursday night we had no reservations, so we wound up just giving away to everybody trying to get some drinks so that we can... You know, and then I'll, they'll be like, you know, we, we literally had about 70 people pay $12 or whatever. And so you go, okay, well, they lost money. Uh, you know, it, it's like, I, I know how much I'm supposed to get. And so if I, if I had some guy from Hollywood calling these guys and saying, no, from now on, Henry doesn't do it for less than whatever. They'd be like, well, you know, screw him then because we can't pay him. Right. And for that same money, we'll get somebody who's on TV all the time. You know, and it's like... Uh, <laughs> 
So it, right now I'm more comfortable doing it myself. And also I know a lot of these agents and right now I can't really help them. You know, they're, what are they going to do? Get, you know, 50 bucks, right. you know, uh, every time I, perform, you know, they don't, they don't care. Well, know? is it an agent yeah. or is it a manager? You know what I mean? I do have a manager. What does a manager do? I, I, I think ideally what they're supposed to do is uh, counsel you uh-huh. in your career um, and hopefully get you an agent right. in some capacity. Um, they are, uh, like I, the way I always heard it, like an agent will sell you out because they're just going from gig to gig and they have several other clients. A manager should be thinking about the long term and saying, right. hey, yeah, this diarrhea commercial pays $10,000 or whatever, but you're going to be the diarrhea guy for the rest of your life. <laughs> so don't do it, you know? But the agent will be like, oh, this is great, you know? This will open new doors for you, you so know? To speak. Yeah, I, I think the, yeah, exactly. I think the manager uh, is sort of more interested in you as a long term. There's a couple right. of really interesting ones out there. Like, I think. Uh, I was always kind of fascinated by, and I, gosh, I can't remember his name, um, Weird Al's manager. Mm-hmm. I think it's Jay something, but um, I'm pretty sure Weird Al is his only client. And um, the two of them work together as a, as a pretty darn good uh, partnership, you know? I mean, it's amazing to watch what they've done, you know? Right. And I think it's a very, you know, personal kind of a relationship, you know, as opposed to one person who has 50 clients and they're just managing all these people. And then, uh, yeah, my buddy uh, Doug Stanhope, right. who uh, has partnered up with a guy named He's Brian great. Hennigan. Yeah, and they have a very yeah. similar situation. Like, Doug hates to use the word manager, but he calls uh, more of a business partner. You right. Know, it's just some, I think that that's somebody who handles thing. stuff that you're right. not really, yeah. The idea of having a business manager, there's also a confidence that I think that, that because I, I, I book my own gigs and I know that the people that I talk to that book their own gigs too and that have a control over what it is that they're doing, there's really a great confidence that I have in myself yeah. and my ability. And when I, for me, I do something so totally different than what you do because I'm not really, it's not really different because essentially I'm performing in front of all these people. Sure. Um, when I'm teaching and when I'm directing and all that sort of stuff. But if somebody calls me in, and again, it's different, to teach, mm-hmm. this is my thought. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to sell out this class. This class is going to sell out. Yeah. And there's a confidence that comes in that that only comes through age yeah. and experience. That's true. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I've, I've got way more confidence now than I did in my early 20s, mm-hmm. late 20s. I had no idea. And then I think I went through a period from about 33 to like about 38 where I was a little too confident. Mm-hmm. I was sort of resting on previous stuff. I wasn't doing a lot of writing. I wasn't changing my performance. And then I started looking around and all these other people were becoming superstars. And I right. was like, well, what did I do? Uh, you know, I, I just kind of got comfortable, you know, playing out on the road because there was already an audience there. I wasn't trying to develop a new audience right. anymore. How, much, how, much, how often do you, do you shake up your stuff? Well, I mean, I haven't really been doing focusing on the music very much. Well, I mentioned to you off uh, off the mic that um, I'm working on a CD now, like a full length CD uh, for this sort of alter ego uh, musician that I have made up called Jose Suicidio, who does the music for my Henry's Kitchen. You know, just really over the top uh, pathos. You know, depressing. Um, you know, songs. And, That's one uh, of the things that you that I love that you do is you fucking get to the viscera. You know what I mean? Like everything's out in the open for the character that you play, being Henry Henry Phillips, the, the character that you play. That I love that. And it's just so, and, and there's such a charm in who it is that you are. Oh, that's cool. Thanks. Do you agree with that? You know well, what I, mean? I, I, I think it's important to kind of check your ego when you do comedy because. Uh, the stuff that I've always laughed at is basically somebody making a complete fool out of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me feel better about who I am, you know, and all the ones that I liked were just, you know, I always mention, you know, like Woody Allen, Albert Brooks, Gary Shandling, um, those kind of loser, the guys who play this sort of loser, be it socially or 
I mean, Albert Brooks' Modern Romance has got to be one of my favorite movies of it's, all time. And it, and it is just so crushing. And it's so funny to watch him be optimistic throughout the whole <laughs> exactly. thing. He just has no idea, you know? Right, exactly. When, you know, he says, I love you, and she's like, I know you do. And he's like, well, that's kind of like I love you too, but it's, you know. I mean, there's just so many great things about that. But right. that's the kind of stuff that I always liked. And so... When you say check your ego at the door, when you say check your ego, what, yeah. you, what you're talking about is um, to come up there and to be human. Yeah, because I hate it when you're watching somebody, a comic, who y you really feel like more than 50% of them is trying to impress girls right. or, and get laid. You know, that, right. that really bums me out because... You know, like their whole set is about how good they are at eating pussy or something like that, and they're strutting around or whatever. And it's just like, all right, or this kind of pseudo intelligent thing, you know, where you're just sort of you're putting everything down around you, but you, you sort of after about 15 minutes, you go, oh wow, you have no flaws, do you? There's nothing that you've ever done wrong or right. anything embarrassing. You know, it's like. Tell me about how you shit your pants. You know anything? I totally agree. To, to make you a human, because that's what we that's laugh it. at. You know, that's it. To if make you if, a human. Yeah. If you're a, if you're a motivational speaker, if you're a, you know Anthony Robbins, or you're trying to teach people how to make money, then do all those other things. But don't. If you're doing comedy, you know, make us laugh. You know? I totally Will agree. Ferrell is a great example of a guy who just has always put himself out there mm -hmm. as the buffoon, and I love it. You know. Right. I think it also helps in your writing when you do things. When Chris Farley and other writing. Yeah. Farley certainly. Um, what, what? When you're creating your own material, if you are going to go outside of who it, or attempt to go outside of who it is that you are in order to define who it is that you are, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Because it's impossible to do, mm -hmm. and you're fighting. You're not. You're fighting who it is that you are, which means you're not accepting who it is that you are. Which yeah. means the one thing that you know the best is who it is that you are. That's right. And I think there's also something that that's there where you look at some other, and you're just you're just naming these people mm -hmm. uh, under the the balloon of people that are human. Yeah. But you're not saying I want to be like those people. No, I just yeah. I mean, that's from Woody Allen to Chris Farley. That's a big range of people. But <laughs> you know, is. they all have that kind of thing. You know, Steve Stephen Wright is another guy. You know. Right. Um, Stephen Wright is, nails it. Oh yeah, no, he's he's classic. You know, it's like his messy hair and his kind of you know sort of stoner sounding voice and right. everything like that. You know, there's it's just the exact opposite of a of a slick politician or a motivational speaker. Or something, oh, and, you know? and I love how he ends his show. It's like I'm done, and he gets up and walks away. Yeah, it's not like and we're gonna have a big and this is it, everybody. It's more like yeah, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I mean, well, comedy is all about being hit with something that you weren't expecting. Because if you that. were expecting, then you wouldn't laugh. You know, right. it's like we don't want to just see a script played out that we already know is gonna happen. You know, and that's why I've changed my style a little bit over the years in terms of music because. When I started, I was really into uh, like Tom Lehrer and these other guys, you know, not to take away from them, but it's like, I mean, amazingly uh, well-crafted songs where, the, where everything rhymes and all the meter and everything just fits into place where it's a marvel. Right. And I think at that time, that was amazing because people hadn't seen that before. But after that's been happening a long time, you start realizing that everybody hears a certain word and they go, oh, he's going to rhyme it with this, and so that's what. And so what I like to do is go into left field and just be like, you know, blah da 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 you know, <laughs> there, blah da 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 vagina or whatever, like, which I do in my end of the world song, you know, but it's like everybody's expecting it to rhyme or whatever, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't at all. And then, you know, you can... Um, get a laugh that way because people, their minds were going in one direction or whatever. You know? I also think that listening to you over the years, um, one of the things, your, your voice has changed. And I don't necessarily, I know that I also mean your comedic voice, but I mean your literal oh, voice yeah. that comes out. For sure. Because it seems like there are certain things that where there was the Tom Lear and then there was the Dave Matthews influence that you've had. That oh, yeah, seemed yeah. to be a, a lot of at least if not where it is that you are then where it is that you were recently yeah I think um, 
Well, like Tom Lehrer at his time, he was making fun. Uh, he was satirizing a style of music that was considered very stuffy and old hat at right. the time. That that kind of music. Bombastic. Yeah, so uh, yeah, exactly. You know, the fight song or whatever. Right. You know, it's all this stuff. National Brotherhood Week. Yeah. And I think that that's where satire works the best. If you're making fun of something that was in no way meant to be ser to be laughed at at all, and right. I think the new generation of that would be like the singer songwriter type guys, because, you know. I mean, J James Taylor, you know, I mean, God love him, but it's like, there is not even an ounce of humor in those songs, you know? And it's kind of like bursting. You're just waiting <laughs> right. for somebody to crack a joke, you know? Right. And that's the kind right. of, or Neil Diamond, some of his, uh, that kind of mid-range stuff that he was doing in the 70s is right. just like over the Come top, you know? To yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and anytime something is... Uh, but now, uh, and, and then I remember uh, somebody giving me a Dylan CD when I was like 25, and I was like, oh, maybe this will be, you know, something. But then what I noticed about Dylan is that he has a sense of humor, and it's coming out in his songs. Right. And that's really hard to make fun of, because if the person's already aware of it, right. or, or a band like Weezer, or those kind of bands that, that are self-aware of their sense of humor, right. Ben Folds, you know, um, yeah, Ben Folds is great. Too. Offspring, you know, right. they, they, they kind of get it, you know, they know that they're just being a little bit silly. So you, it's harder to make fun of uh, that kind of music. But it's something like Dave Matthews or something where it's, and I'm not saying it's not good music, but it's just, it's so, so much better to make fun of because uh, it just takes itself so seriously. Right. Or Sting, you know, or whatever. You oh, know? man. <laughs> well, I think about Bob Dylan, I think about um, Idiot Wind. That song, uh, you know that song, right? Oh, which one is that? One? Um, uh, idiot wind blowing across the nose. You're an idiot, <laughs> babe. It's a wonder that you still know how to breathe. Blood on the tracks. I'm not familiar with that. Blood on the tracks, but he's got some great lines in that song. Oh yeah. Where you go, you cannot not be funny, and you cannot, you cannot not be funny, and and say that you can't. Oh yeah, no, he had an amazing sense of humor. Right. Yeah, and then he still out. does, but he's playful. Yeah. Um, and nowadays he just doesn't give a shit anymore. I think that he's just cranking out, and I don't mean he's just cranking out shit. I mean he's cranking out stuff that he, and he's always been like this. He's never wanted, and this is what I love about a lot of people that we know. They're doing who it is that they are. That's what they're yeah. doing. And uh, if you can, throughout your career, and I'm, I'm somehow I'm, I'm doing this, even though I never really set out verbally, like this is my goal, but somehow it seems to be doing that. It's like, and I'm not necessarily financially successful, but um, I very rarely do anything that I don't want to do. You know, sometimes people will call, or I'll, I'll get an audition to be like the funny singer guy in an insurance commercial or something like that. And I uh, I remember doing one of those like several years ago, and I just told them, I go, look, this is not me at all. But I know why you called because you heard I'm a guy who does comedy clubs with the guitar or whatever. But I do know people that are really, really good at this, and you should call them because it'd be a perfect fit. And then right. I think they're kind of confused, like, "Oh, this guy doesn't want the job, apparently." But, but I, I look like at like Tom Waits. I don't know. I mean, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. I don't know that you can find anything in his entire career—acting, songwriting, whatever—that he ever didn't want to put his stamp on. You know, it's like. He has three, I think three songs that are in the top ten, you know, like Jersey Girl was right. his, Downtown Train, I think one other, but right. uh, he wrote those first and then they covered them, but it's like he, right. he's he's had a, a lot of success and he might not be in uh, 10,000 seaters, but he certainly does several, you know, thousand seaters throughout the country. I think and, he you could know, do 10,000 seaters. Maybe now, yeah. I really think he can. I mean, if you said, I don't know that he ever comes down to L.A., <laughs> Yeah, I think he does the wheel turn every now and then, but um, right, he does the wheel turn. Every yeah, now and, then. and but, uh, but so does Elvis Costello does the wheel turn every wow. now. Wow, you know? oh, yeah, that's they right. do good stuff Elvis there. there. Oh, that's so cool. Um, but I love Tom Waits. Tom Waits is a, yeah. one of those other people that you look at and you go, that fucker's doing what it is that he wants to do. Well, yeah, and some of it I don't get. You know, there's right. definitely stuff uh, that he does that I'm just like, stuff uh, that I didn't yeah, get, like yeah. Black Rider. I, I'm yeah. like, I, that's impossible to listen to. Yeah, it's like self-portrait. You know? I, I, I know what you mean. You know, I've, I've 
I've tried. I'm like, well, this is what he's going through. But that that's all the more <laughs> testament. Right. But there's a video. Wait, 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 wait. I, this is what he's going through. <laughs> yeah. And and we go, okay, he's allowed to go through that. Yeah. Because this is what I'm going through. And yeah, I need exactly. for you to, to not guide me in this in the way that you want to guide me, because I'm not gonna fucking go in that direction. Yeah. I'm not gonna go in that direction. He's, yeah, he might be just sort of like, Well, I've written a lot of beautiful songs, beautiful melodies, you know, I've done this he's got, you know, so many albums and then it's sort of like, Well, I wanna go in a whole different place. Right. Um, but this thing recently I was watching YouTube and I saw this new thing, Hell Broke Loose that he's got out there and I just stumbled across it and I think somebody put it on Facebook and I watched it. Was it him walking through the, it's like a war? Yeah, war? yeah. It's gorgeous. I had to I had yeah. to start it again right from the beginning. I had I literally got to the end and I had to push play and watch it again because I was like, wow, that is heavy, you know, and it's very rare that I mean, how many times do we watch something and actually have to start it again immediately? I got to tell you, the other last month I was going through this That's melancholy not bullshit. No, I was going through this melancholy thing, and I listened to um, "Take It With Me When I Go," which is a Tom Waits song, a beautiful piano thing. I must have listened to it. I, mean, I must have listened to it twenty-five times in a row. Wow! Or just listen to it over and over. He gets you. No, oh, yeah. Fucking gets you. No, oh, yeah. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, that's. That's an admirable thing to be, um, you know, and his acting work is great. It's just to be a guy who only does stuff that he wants. You're not going to see him on a Capital One commercial, you know? No. Or whatever. That's a really great example. Yeah. You know, where you saw, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? There's so many people do this. Well, what's the guy's name? Come on. Oh, Samuel, Al- Samuel Jackson. Oh, yeah. Samuel, Samuel, doesn't he have an initial? Well, what about Alec Baldwin? You know, he does oh, all Al- those But Alec things, Baldwin, yeah. you look and you go, of course he's going to do that. I but guess Samuel so. Jackson? Yeah, no, yeah I know. I want to put an initial in between Samuel and Jackson. Samuel F. Jackson. I know that's not his <laughs> name, but I want to call him that. Yeah. Um, but you look at that going, dude. Yeah, why? I know. Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, I've, I've never really had that. Do you need the I, money? I'm, does he no. need the money then? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It must be a whole different level of, uh, you know, needing money. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would be embarrassed, you know. I would be embarrassed. I, I I don't know that I'd be embarrassed. I think that at that point, because I, I, w- I wouldn't have a problem if some company came to me as long as they weren't like Satan or something like that. But. Uh, it said, you know, we would like to have commercials with you doing your thing. And if they just said, you get to be yourself, you get to write it, you do this thing, whatever, and and if I was fine with the product, I would probably do it, sure. And I think there are uh, examples of that on the internet where some people have done that. But, um, but yeah, doing a bank commercial for a million dollars, that's corny. You know? Right, right. It's just so corny. It's and you just stupid. stand there going, rrr, rrr. Yeah, you're, but you're I, making I a fool out of yourself. That people like... People uh, like Stan, like, I can't imagine Rick Overton being a spokes guy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And we love Rick Overton. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, right. you have to think about the bigger picture, you know, who you are <laughs> as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you do. And, and I think also because you look at somebody like. I would want Rick Overton to be making fun of that product, you know. Right. I wouldn't want him to be selling it to me. You God, know? I like him. Oh, he's great. I just worked with him a couple nights ago. Where? Uh, Santa Barbara, uh-huh. beautiful. Yeah, I was opening for the Setlist show and uh, watching oh, him perform. Right, Setlist show. It's so great. Yeah, uh, that's he, a great. That that's such a ballsy fucking show. Troy Conrad. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And and there's just I I I'm just am the opening guy, so I'm warming him up. And and sometime I want to try to get the balls to do the uh, the Who actual there? game. Who was doing it? Oh, it was uh, Matt Kirshen. It was really great. Rick was amazing. Um, Will Anderson, Australian comic, was great, and I know I'm leaving a couple people out, That's but right. uh, it was really, yeah, it was fantastic. The idea of just opening up your mind and having all this stuff suck into it, and having again going back to that confidence, where you're going, I have the confidence to know that I'm going to get up here, because I, I remember those guys talking about it, and I, I feel like, I, I don't know that I'd get scared. Yeah. Because the moment that you get scared, you're fucked. Yeah. No, that's true. And that's that's true uh, with performing across the board, I think. What do you mean? Well, um, like even even if your character or whatever you are on stage, your voice, whatever it is, if you're a stand-up, is a timid, scared person, you still have to be driving this uh, ship. Or, or it's to a mix character metaphors. that you're yeah. playing. The timid, you're playing you a timid have to be character. The, yeah, you're, but you're leading 200 people somewhere, so you should 
you should own it, you know. And I, I know that in the beginning, I was terrified. I've always had terrible stage fright. And I would try to make it sort of like, well, that's that's just who I am. That's my character. But I was really scared, you know. It's like people can tell the difference between, oh, he's putting on a scared guy or, you know, he's, he's really guy. terrified. This is awkward. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> um, you know, and I remember that. And in the beginning of my club career, I would start, with this really subtle approach that was kind of, it, it made people feel weird, you know? Uh-huh. And then now... In not a good way. Yeah, no. And so right. now, I, I feel like after doing it for so many years and having, uh, you know, amassed a couple of uh, life experiences, like, you know, comics that I look at as, you know, my favorite comics have told me that they like what I do. And so then when I go on, I get to say, all right, well, if these people all hate me, it's okay because I've been told that I'm good by the people that I respect, you know? And so right. it gives you this feeling like uh, you get a little bit more laid back in that situation. And I think that they it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because then they respond to it. They're like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. This isn't weird at all. Right. Let's go with him, you know? And then you can let go of the the fact that all these other people like you. This is what I feel. Yeah. That after a while you go, oh, okay, people like me. And then you shed that people like me and then you're just being. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah. Uh, because right now whether you like what I do or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, that that's really important. Yeah. It's it's weird cuz yeah, confidence people might misunderstand. It's like, well, this isn't the kind of confident that we were talking about earlier with the guy who's trying to get laid after the show and he's just, you know, trying to go up and uh, say whatever it takes, you know. Right. But uh, no, this is a kind of confidence um, in the the uh, in your level of uh, performance or whatever it, it is, in you the know? Lev- in, in the fact that you've been, uh, uh, you know, the fact that you've embraced like Stephen that- Wright is a great example. There What's is that? there is no doubt that Stephen Wright is extremely confident when he's up there, you know, right. and yet he's very soft spoken, mm-hmm. dry, and the way he ends his show isn't. It's not bravado. It's not showmanship, you know, in the traditional sense. But it but he does own it, and he knows what he's doing. Right. Um, and there's no other way that he can end that show. Oh yeah, no, it's perfect. It's perfectly right. unexpected. It's the perfect ending. You right, know? right. It's great. And I love watching people who are confident, who are coming up. And, and there's some people that you look at. There's some people that there's some stand-ups that I, I watch, and I go, okay, okay, I'm, I'm uncomfortable right now. But that's but my uncomfortableness is a product of you making me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, you, on purpose. On purpose. Steering me into that exactly. direction. Exactly, and so yeah. I have to embrace that just as I would embrace, you know, Paul Simon coming up with a guitar and going, hey, yeah. buddy, how you doing? You know, that sort of thing. Because I look at somebody like Rick Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Rick? Yeah, well, I know him a little bit, yeah. But you've seen his, oh, sure. his stuff yeah, where yeah. you go, what, what's, what's happening with oh, that yeah. guy? What's going totally, on? yeah. What's going on with that guy? But he's, a, he's a veteran, yeah. He's, he's a veteran. Been a long time. And he knows who the fuck he is. And, and I, I look at people who are lacking confidence and I see the actions that they're taking and I want to pull them aside and go, don't do that anymore. Yeah. You don't even know that you're doing that. Whatever it is that you're doing, you don't know that you're doing it. And I think that you'd want me to tell you that the way that you're looking or that comment that you just made, you pulled me the fuck out of there. Yeah, because like I used to do things like while people were laughing, I would I would start talking because I felt like I didn't, maybe I it was too weird for me that people were laughing at something that I said. So I want to interrupt it by ah, I was I just you know just like I would listen to tapes of myself. I'd be like I'd say the punchline, and I'm like well I don't know I just <laughs> I'm like what am I doing? Why don't I just let people laugh at the thing that I said? I'm it's almost like I'm trying to get them to not laugh, you know? And it's like you have to let it breathe, you know? I think there's also something about you appreciating that laugh, the fact that you came here for that la- for yeah. their laughter. And when you, if I get a laugh, I'm going to sit back and go, you f- eat it up, y'all. Eat yeah, it yeah. Up. And I'm going to, and, and I'm going to start talking the moment that I know that you're at the, you're about to hit the end of that. Yeah. And then, and then come in with that next thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know if this is just slightly off topic, but um, this is called ADD. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it just, I was just reminded in terms of like, guess we're just talking about you know, good good mental spaces to get into when you're performing. And so um, I have my friend Tom Luifi, who's friends with uh, Todd Schroeder, who's a great uh, musical director, piano player, songwriter, and everything. But um, 
So they were roommates uh, for a long time, and Tom's an amazing singer. Uh, Todd booked Tom to sing at some event, a charity event or something, where there was going to be a lot of people, several hundred at least, you know. And uh, Tom was nervous, you know, because he had never really sung outside of a club, you know. And um, and he told Todd about that, and Todd was like, uh, "Well, when?" why did you get into this, you know? Right. What was the initial thing that you said, I want to be a singer? <laughs> Wasn't there part of you, at least, that was like, I want to be the guy that everybody's watching singing on stage. I want to be a rock star. You know, we all thought that at one point. You know, it's like, well, now do it. This is exactly what you're, there's nothing to be upset about. You're actually getting to do the thing that you wanted to do. So this should be a positive moment for you. And it's like, yeah. And then Tom told me that Todd had told him that. And it, I thought about that a lot because I was like, you know, it's like if before you're going to go on late night TV, you know, it's just terrifying, you know. What TV? What have you done? I've done the Kimmel show twice. Mm -hmm. The first one was live and it didn't go that well. And it's pretty weird to be halfway through your set on live TV, knowing that all your friends and family are watching and the whole country, and you're just not doing that well. That's a very weird <laughs> feeling to have, but you just try to get through it. But, exactly. um, but yeah, you know, and I, I did a half hour special on Comedy Central right. or whatever, but it's like. How long ago was that? Uh, that was, uh, gosh, it's getting to be nine years, you know. It's a great special. That oh, really, you've seen it? Oh, yeah, thanks. It's really great. Well, I, that's cool. Thanks. I, I, you, the way, you're, you're up there, and I feel like that's who you are. I feel like it's a great example of who it is that you are. That's really cool to hear. Um, I remember being terrified before that, but, but I definitely remember thinking it's like, no, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, it's what your friend you know? said. It's exactly yeah. why you're doing this. I mean, is there any other reason to do that? Yeah. You're you, not up there you're harking, about you know, Capital One. Yeah, it's like when, when you were watching a half-hour special before you were a comic, you were impressed and said, that's what I would like to do. Well, right. now you're about to do it. So exactly. It's, just a, it's a really important thing for people to think about when they get nervous. You know? I think that a lot of people are going, oh, this is a... I can't believe that I'm here. This is a big thing. I can't fuck it up. As opposed to, yeah. I'm here. Period. Let, let me at him. That's what you gotta be. Exactly. You know, I can't wait for this. This right. is so cool. I'm, oh, that that's it. Yeah. I can't wait for this. This is so cool. Yeah. But when you start projecting or having expectations or like all that, it takes you out of this moment that you're in and it puts you in a moment outside of this moment, looking at this moment, which is impossible because yeah. you're in this moment. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, and also that that nervousness will show too. I mean, I've seen uh, people do sets where it started out fine, and then some little turn happened, and it just it went bad from that point all the way on. And you, I'll watch people do, because when you're working on the road, you're doing like Wednesday through Sunday, and I'll watch people do verbatim the exact same set. And I'm not even saying I'm I'm above this, but it's like. Uh, you can do the exact same set every time, and sometimes it'll kill, and then sometimes there'll be no, it's like the audience just all got together and decided they were gonna vote on whether they liked you or not <laughs> that night, and it just doesn't make any sense. Right. But it could be something as simple as something you did in the first five minutes that you weren't aware of that just made you unlikable for whatever reason, <laughs> you know? You yelled at somebody or whatever, right. and all of a sudden people are like, you know what, no, thumbs down, happened. I'm just gonna, be against this person. And, you know? <laughs> it's weird. And it does shut down right away. Yeah. And and it, and it and it and it's insidious because it kind of just seeps in. And but I think that as as a stand-up, I would imagine that's part of the exciting thing about it too. The idea that you never know what's going to happen from one night to another. Yeah. And it's also the excitement of. Uh, I would also think. Well, your your stuff. Is it that different because you've got a guitar? Because what, watching the Comedy Central special, what I love was the banter in between the songs as well. Oh, cool. Like the, it seems like you really worked hard on that too and getting yeah. that down because that's still your bit. Yeah. No, that's always been a really important part of my act. As, as a matter of fact, nowadays I do... When you asked me about how much... Something about how how often I change up my stuff or how much I'm writing and stuff. Yeah, I'm not writing a lot of uh, 
quote Henry Phillips' songs right now. I'm doing a lot more stand-up around town and uh, storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, I love jokes. I just love flat-out jokes. And, you know, um, that's pretty much the first 15 minutes of my act now is, is stand-up. Do you have your guitar in hand? Yeah, well, then my... Like the guitar, no, the guitar will be on a stand behind Got me, it. and then uh, Got it. yeah, and it's it's still a little bit of a, a crutch that I can't let go of because I still haven't gotten to the point where I don't want there to be a guitar on the stage because I I want I just feel like there's going to be people like oh no is he not going to do the guitar you know so right. I always have it behind me and just have let people know don't worry I'll be doing the songs which is what you know most people know me for right. you know. Well, certainly, it seems like you've got a hit with "She's Talking Again." Is that? Oh, that was fun. Yeah. But that was was that a long time ago? That was a long. That time was ago. Uh, yeah, a very long time ago. And that was and probably then there's about the ninety-seven. He's still talking. Seven. Uh, yeah, he's talking again. He's talking again. Sung by my, my friend Susie Rose, who is amazing she singer. She yeah. knocked it out of the park. She's great. Yeah. Did you write it for her? Um, no, no, the. Uh, the song was originally the idea. It was conceptualized by Edie McGoon. Edie McGoon. Remember her? She was there oh back in God, those days. Right. And she. What's um, she doing? Do you have any idea? Uh, she she does like sketch comedy and does uh, like YouTube right. and stuff. But um, so yeah, one time uh, we were all hanging out and she played this song that was this idea of where a girl's talking and she's singing about how it's talking right. too much. And right. I think about a year later... That's right, she did the background. For that. I was, uh, yeah, I was... I had a girlfriend and she was showing me these pictures of her European trip and there was like a thousand pictures. <laughs> she takes the first picture and talks about it for like two minutes and then grabs the next picture and I'm like, oh wow. If you just do the rough math here, this is 2,000 minutes that we're going to be sitting here. And I was just going crazy, and I had that same kind of angst that probably, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain and all those guys had about whatever it was that they were upset about. But I was just upset so much about this girl talking, and I remembered that Edie had that thing. And then I, I called her, and I was like, do you want to collaborate on this as a song? That's the song of I think it would be great. That's the She's Talking Again. Uh -huh. And then after several years, uh, I thought it'd be fun to make a, uh, a um, equal opportunity version. Because I felt like it, it was definitely uh, received, you know, as like a sexist thing. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, girls, they do talk to, and, you know. It, but the thing is... We can't forget that we've heard guys just go on forever, too. I mean, just go to the improv on a given night, and you'll just sit there, and you'll be stuck, you know, talking to somebody. And so I thought, well, let's do the he's talking again. We'll get right. Susie to just sing the shit out of it, you know? I loved your bit on that. I loved the, the video. The video is great. Oh, cool. It's really a Edie great video. directed the video, yeah. It's just so good. And, oh, awesome. And how it, it, it syncs up so well with what you're just rambling on and ambling on and going to the party and talking to that other Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's we get to do that shit. Henry. Oh yeah, we get no, to absolutely. fucking do that stuff. Yeah, totally. you have an idea and then you do it. That's right. You have to do it. You know, I mean, the one thing I want to do, you know, in this lifetime is I, I want to make sure that there's uh, that I've gotten all of the thing, all the all the crazy ideas I've had. I want to get them all out there. That's right. Just and then you know I have enough to keep me busy. You know, so. And what you were saying about, uh, uh, it's not the idea of being comfortable, I don't know, because comfortable is a weird thing, because I'm comfortable in making phone calls and fishing for work, I'm comfortable in that. Yeah. But also, also the idea of being comfortable with the material that you have is, the idea of, 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 uh, uh, of getting new material, of letting go, of shedding that other material, of moving forward in that, and to, to keep moving forward. Yeah. Just to keep moving forward. No, absolutely. Yeah, and you got to also pay attention to what other people are doing also because, uh, I mean, there are a lot of... I, I also learned a lot when I started comedy by watching guys that were older. Guys that were my age, the age that I am now, back when I started, I learned things good and bad. One, one of the things is that I had a couple of friends that just didn't watch other performers. They mm -hmm. just... They just didn't feel like it. They were just like, I don't want to watch some, you know, some kid. It's hard to watch. You know, yeah, it is hard. Um, I always tried to do it 
mostly to be polite because I don't want the awkwardness afterward of somebody saying, hey, great set, and then I can't say it to them because I was out and having a smoke or right. whatever, you know? Right. So I would watch a lot, but then what I also noticed, um, I, well, I remember uh, when I was like, because it, it's also not fun if you're like in your 30s and then there's some guy in his early 20s that you're watching who's just amazing. It's not a fun thing for the ego, you know? But if that does happen, and it has happened to me a lot, right. I, you know, we have to go, well, what, what is that kid doing that's working so well, right. you know? And you have to learn from that. Otherwise, you're just going to keep going and going, you know? I mean, I'm sure every comedian, I'm sure, you know, I don't know. You well, probably know more than I do, but like, you know, Bill Murray or all these guys, they must have pissed a lot of older guys off at right. some point because they must have been like, ah, you know, this kid's, you know, a jackass or whatever. Well, you know? I remember watching Andy Dick and going, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is he doing? It's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And and who does he, who the fuck does, and, and he's fucked up. And I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that he's fucked up. I'm going, he's fucking his career up. He's just yeah, talking, yeah. And I'm talking in 85, 86. Yeah. To go, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. And then. Was that in Chicago? It was in Chicago. Okay, yeah. You know, that was, a, uh, that was an improv Olympic in Chicago. I remember watching him and Dino uh, Stamatopoulos do their two, their two people. Oh, there. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I've, there's a thing on Kimmel of them doing that, which is exactly. pretty damn funny. Yeah. It, like, like, isn't there punching or yeah, something? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It it's like punched. who's on first or something. Oh, yeah. It's like hilarious. Thing. And, and it, it's fucking violent. And, yeah. And, and back then it was like, it was uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Andy was doing the Upfront Comedy Club. He and Bob Odenkirk Andy teamed did. up and they used to yeah, and they yeah. used to do a lot of stuff together and I uh I was probably about 24 or something at the time and I ate it up. I would bring friends down to watch it and um I had a hard time selling it because I, I was like, look at this. This is amazing. And my friends were like, I don't know. I don't really get it. You know? <laughs> and I think a lot of it was because they were making fun of stuff that you would see within the scene. You right. know? So it's like people have to be famili familiar with, it, with whatever the subject of your satire is. You right. know? And that's what they were doing a lot. I think that that's a huge like thing. Bob would like do like a lot of stand-up. I'm a stand-up comedian, but not tell them that he's... He's basically horrible, you know. Right, but he's satirizing it. Yeah, but people would think that they're watching a real stand-up comedian, and it would, they were just like, "Well, this isn't very good at all," you know. And then there's somebody like Andy Kaufman, where you go, "That's uncategorizable." Yeah, it's the Andy Kaufman thing, you know. It's like he invented it. He invented it, and I think that everybody else that does it past that, everyone that's done it since then, is doing him. Yeah, he ruined it for everybody. No, that's true. Yeah, and. Uh, what did they say about uh, Thoreau? Um, I just remember a term paper from years ago that it's like, it, it, the world wouldn't, some critics said, well, the world wouldn't be a better place if everybody was like Thoreau, but it would if everybody had a little bit of Thoreau in them, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, if you have that little bit of Andy Kaufman that you can, you know, not that you're not afraid to go to every now and then. And I have some friends that in the middle of their act, all of a sudden there's something that it's just like, oh yeah, that's, you know, it's like breaking the rule of threes, you know, it's like going into a thousand of them, you know, right. and watching it all of a sudden get funny again for, for some unexplained reason. It's <laughs> it like this around. became funny again. It was horrible for like 50 times. And now <laughs> this time it's funny. You know, it's like, that's the kind of Andy Kaufman thing, you know, it's right. like people just, it starts going into some absurd place, you know, it, the, I, there's a physics to comedy and it's such an yeah. interesting thing because there is a physics to it and I watch it. And I feel like um, I understand because there's, um, it's sort of the, the same thing of pressure. So pressure is such a concept of physics. Like you, you, you build something to a pressure and then you bust it. Yes. And then it doesn't, it doesn't disappear. Rather, it then becomes something else that then becomes something else. Yeah. And so when you have an audience listening and watching what you're doing, they're all part of that creation of the physics of that. And their laughter is the fuel that keeps you moving forward. Yeah, no, and that saying, is okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, 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 and I have these raw materials, the raw materials being the brain that I have, the concept that we've gone through, everything that I've talked to the audience about so I can do callbacks and, yeah. use and, and keep mining from that mine that I've yeah. done and bring that stuff back up. And 
and just uh, and just keep building it and building it and building it yeah. and then walking away and I think another thing is going back to the idea of don't talk over your laugh there's yeah. because that laugh is part of your engine your dy yeah, yeah. dynamo that keeps that thing going and if you it's it's like choking out a car yeah. You know, when you're you, when a, a standard transmission and you're choking it out and it can't move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. And then, and yeah, those are all the raw materials. And then um, it's important to try to, uh, within that structure, uh, you know, vary it. You know, like I know that. Uh, there's some old story about Buddy Hackett, and I don't know if it's true or not, but where he apparently spent the first 15 minutes berating the audience. The most hardcore racial, you know, stuff that you could imagine. And, and then started into his regular act. And um, I think, I th I'm doing the worst job retelling the story, but before he started into his regular act, he said, well, I have to come up here every single night of my life, and I've been doing this for so many years. At work, sometimes you have to make things interesting for yourself, challenging. <laughs> and that's basically what he was doing. He right. was trying to get him, he was trying to dig himself such a huge hole just to see if he could get out of right. it, because he was doing every single night, and it was getting monotonous, right. you know, so he needed... And apparently he did. Apparently he had everybody laughing after that. Well, you know? we know who he is. Yeah. Something worked. Absolutely. You know, no, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Right. Foul mouth. He was known as just fucking foul Yeah, mouth. yeah. He was like Red Fox foul. Yeah. Um, Bob Saget foul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Bob Saget's an interesting thing because he's... You look at Bob... You look at TV Bob Saget and yeah. then you go to watch him and you go, well, that's not the same guy. Yeah. No, that is... Um, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I guess he has every right, uh, of course. to just, uh, which I think it's cool because some of those guys might be like, well, I don't want to lose the opportunity to do some full house, you know, thing or sponsorships or whatever, right. you know, it's like, nah, screw it, you know, exactly. for yourself. But I mean, in a way, Andy, Andy Kaufman too. kept it together when he was on Taxi, you know, right. and then, so, right. I mean. But he was playing yeah. such a strong character. Yeah, yeah. Too, you know, not even American. He was playing that. You know. Yeah. But was he was great. able to go crazy with that. Yeah. What was what must that have been like to to work with him on on Taxi, because he's still Andy Kaufman back yeah. know, behind the when he's away from the camera. But when he was on, man, that character was awesome. Yeah. No, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was great. And I, I love I, what we do. I fucking yeah. love it. I feel blessed. It's really cool. And there's just so much history, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, already the, the experiences that I had in, in the mid to later 90s have, I didn't realize it at the time, but they've become kind of legendary, you know, the way that everything does, you know, but... Um, and that you're still doing it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's... I'm not talking about. I want to make sure anybody listening knows that I'm not talking about my shows being legendary. I'm saying I'm saying the See, people. You know, a lot of the people that aren't alive anymore, or a lot of the people that um, that were nobodies back then, that are now insanely huge, and they look yeah. back at this particular time and just are like, "Wow, that was pretty incredible." You know, right. I mean, the whole alternative scene that kind of started. I don't want to go on record and sing. I know where it started. I know that a lot of it was in New York, but for me, it was Largo right. over there on Fairfax. Or, or Luna. Um, or the uh, Yeah. The, uh, what, uh, Luna Park. Luna Park. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Uncabaret yeah. and all yeah. that stuff. It's the yeah. same people going back and forth. And uh, and then I got to do some of the lower-end shows in some of those bars around that time, too, and I'd rub shoulders with some of those guys. But it's like when you watched a show at Largo on the Monday nights, it was just... Phenomenal! Right. It's just unbelievable. Right. On Fairfax. Yeah. Right. I like just remember being glued to every single word that right. everybody was saying. Who do you remember seeing? Uh, Paul F. Tompkins, right. uh, Dana Gould, right. Janine. Yeah. Um, oh God, uh, Karen Kilgariff, who's who's uh, still out there now, and she makes me laugh so hard. She does these songs that are so great. But like, uh, I'm trying to remember who. Else back in those, I mean, everybody. It was such a small, Galifianakis, yeah, you know, it was such a small um, fucking room. Yeah, it was intense, but it would be packed. Right. Yeah, and that's part of the scene. 
Yeah, because it feeds on itself. Because then there'd be like celebrities there, because they would find out that's the big thing, and then right. other people go, "Oh, there's celebrities there. I'm going to go too." And so it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Right. But yeah. If you can do that, that's the key to a well-attended show. It's like get <laughs> get a bunch of people to just uh, know that it's a, some kind of a scene. I always felt like my shows are are pretty much the exact opposite. No celebrities. Mostly guys, <laughs> losers. Uh, uh, awesome. Well, like let's myself. Stop, let's stop at losers, though. We'll there you go. There. Let's let's stop by me saying my fans are losers. <laughs> what I meant was uh, I'm a loser too. No, I look at all that. I look at all that, and so we're still taping. I look at all that, and I totally understand what it is that you're saying because we're still doing it. I think that that's such an important fucking part of it all is that we're you and I are still out there and we're still doing it. Yeah. And when you say when you say you know that you're part of this golden age, whatever you want to talk about, I think it really helps that you're still working at it so that you still have that great feeling. Yeah. Maybe there's another golden age that. coming up. You know. Well, yeah. I, I also feel like all that golden age stuff that we were part of certainly what went uh, down at the Ashgrove, all yes. that gold, made gave me the confidence to be who it is that I am right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's huge. It's like when you watch, uh, you know, guys like Carl LeBove, you know, who is sort of Candace's right-hand man. You know, he's out there performing and just, you know, he has a lot of legend that that is attached to him because right. of, you know, who he is. And he's a fantastic comic. You'd have to be, you know. And also um, just all the history there, you know. It's pretty cool. I love that stuff. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's stop there. Awesome. All right. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDCOMEDY at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDCOMEDY.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rozowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.